Welcome to Unlock Your Wellbeing, the podcast that teaches you the simple keys to health and happiness so that you can grow as a human being into a well-being. And now here's your host, author, certified wellness coach, mother, and wife, Alicia Leadham. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of Unlock Your Wellbeing. I have a very special guest sitting in my office with me today. He is an author. He is a husband. He is a father. He is a leadership coach. And he happens to be my husband. (laughs) Welcome to the show. You're my very first guest, Michael Leadham. Well, I am excited to be here. It is kind of strange, I guess, because we wake up and we live and we work with each other, but I'm really proud of you and this podcast. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be your first guest and to talk about all things leadership and burnout. Yeah, it's going to be a good conversation, which, you know, for for our listeners here, my intention for um, when I bring someone on is just to have, a you know, a conversation that we're jamming on things and you guys get to listen in on that and pick up on, you know, the things that we're teaching on in conversation style. So why are you looking at me like that? I was just had the idea that Ainsley needs to put in a um, husband drop or some kind of thing. I think I'll be back. Hopefully, if I do a good job today, I'll be back for other episodes. But That's what I was going to say next, is I have a feeling you're going to be a highlighted guest, on a, a regular guest on this series, for sure. So if you guys have a question um, for Michael in a future episode, I mentioned this at the end of uh, the last episode, but we have um, a new series um, within the podcast called Ask Alicia. And um, if you have a question for Michael, you can ask in there. But if you just go to the show notes, there is a link for you to go. You can ask your question. And in a future episode, I will ask it. And then if you're lucky, maybe Michael will grace us with his presence and he can come on and ask. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's see how this first one goes. Okay, so let's dive right in. You know, a little background on um, me and Michael and our and our marriage relationship. So we've been together for 16, 16 years, a little over 16. Yeah, we met um, in college in undergrad. And it was actually my very first night of college that I met Michael. He was a year older, so he had a year under his belt. But um yeah, we basically met there and have been together ever since. I knew I had to sweep in early and, and get you before you could kind of go out and see what else was out there. And I'm glad that you uh, <laughs> came with me right off the bat there. But yeah, that was a long time ago. You were 18. I was 19. Yeah, that was not my plan going into college to meet my husband my first well, night. But... When, you, when you meet a guy like me, I guess. Yeah, I just, <laughs> what a, I can't say no to that. <laughs> God. So enough about, you know, us. We've been together. We Well, okay, 15, we've been together for 15 years. 16. 16 years. We've been married for just about 10. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a 13-month-old daughter together and a 
15 year old multi poo dog. Yeah. That we rescued when he was seven. So that's our family background. But Michael, how about you tell us a little bit about your um, professional background, who you are, what you do, and how you came into this space. Um, and I promise there's a reason that we're going to be um, diving into his background and what he does, dear listeners, um, because what he and his story, in particular, his corporate um his time in in the corporate world and his story there really is a big part of uh, how he has unlocked his own well-being. And we're going to be diving into exactly what that looks like for him. So please, the floor is yours, babe. It's dangerous, but I will start, I guess, I'll try and be as brief and concise with it as I can be, but lay the, the foundation if you don't know me. Um, starting back, I guess, in, in high school, uh, Cascade High School, one stoplight, small town in Iowa, and just really exploring different things, different activities, and really starting to, I might not have known it at the time, but falling in love with the leadership, the concept of leadership, the concept of doing the right thing, the concept of having the courage to stand out from the crowd or to combat you know, what might be wrong, sticking up for kids who might have been getting bullied, different things like that. So there was always a natural inclination for me to kind of do the right thing and to be a leader early on. So after graduating from high school, went on to the University of Iowa where I, I met Alicia, studied psychology there, and knew that I wanted to help people. Didn't yet know that I would be an entrepreneur. I guess I didn't really ever think that. Um, I'm glad that I've taken that path now, but studied social psychology in particular there, really about relationships, how the mind works, how to connect with people, how to combat different biases that we all have, and just started falling in love with learning about the mind and learning about the interactions that people have with one another. Funny enough, Alicia and I took a class together at the University of Iowa. <laughs> yeah, it was a sociology class and it was on self-help and it was with um, Dr. Christine Wieland, who she's had a pro profound impact on, on both of us. And it was so funny because back then when you're in your early 20s or however old we were, thinking to yourself like, ooh, self-help, like I don't need any of this. Like that's just a, you know, something that people have or something that people read during midlife crises or whatever. But lo and behold, I have my own you know, professional development book and Alicia is going to be coming out with hers here this spring. So just kind of funny how fate and the, the nature of things work out. So studied psychology, was a research assistant, had a part-time job, fell in love with Alicia. All that good stuff happened down at the University of Iowa. And then I decided to take a gap year, which was actually a really trying time for me personally so Alicia was a year younger or was in a grade below me. And this was right at the height of the economic recession. So we're talking about, I graduated in 09. It was really hard to get a job. I ended up taking a job as a pizza delivery person and making like below minimum wage and tips. And it was just a shot at my ego, my pride really, because I graduated with honors distinctions, et cetera, had big plans, applied to a bunch of PhD programs, got waitlisted on a few, but didn't you know end up going to any of them which was a good thing in the long term. So 
Alicia graduates, and then we both move up to Mankato, Minnesota. I looked into different graduate programs. Industrial organizational psychology was something I hadn't studied a lot, but basically, if you're not familiar with industrial organizational or IO psychology, it's like business psychology. It's helping organizations hire the right talent, develop the right talent, retain the right talent, build the right cultures. And I started finding ways to apply the psychological stuff that I loved to the workplace and to you know make a, a living that would be something that could support a lifestyle that I wanted in the future. So got uh, our master's up there and then we decided to move across the country the first time to Ohio. Started out as a leadership development coach for a small boutique company in Ohio. Was out there for four years, got great experience being an executive coach, um, working in a small business, which helped me now in my entrepreneurial journey. Got to meet a lot of people, build some strong connections, and cut my teeth on all things leadership development. So that was really awesome, but we hit a, a point where Alicia and I looked at each other, we're like, well, what do we really want? Where do we want to go? What do we want to do next? So we did something bold. We sold 80% of our belongings. We packed up our little Toyota Camry with our little dog that Alicia mentioned, and we headed out to San Diego, California. And I started with a, a new firm, a big four firm, management consulting. Wanted to kind of take my consulting and corporate experience to the next level. Was in that position for four years or just under four years as a manager. And basically what I'm trying to get at throughout this kind of life journey of mine is that I got to see a lot of different examples of organizations who were trying to do the right thing for their people but we're falling short on a number of the offerings they were providing, and in particular with leadership development. They were offering things that you would kind of expect, right? How to be a better communicator, which is great. That's a huge part of leadership. Um, how to have crucial or difficult conversations, um, how to provide feedback and coaching. All of that is really, really good stuff. But I saw a void. I saw a gap that like somehow this leadership development stuff was getting stale and stiff some people come in really academically if they come in more from the you know professor side of things. Other people come in from the angle of like really business buttoned up, like this is the do's and don'ts of corporate America. And I was like, I just want to create something that's really real and really refreshing. So that led me to write the book Catching Leadership, create my own model, and really put an emphasis and a focus on mindfulness and well-being as part of the leadership journey. Can you talk about when, so we moved to San Diego and you took the uh, job with, you know, this big company that we will not name and you started doing um, traveling consulting, right? You would get on a plane every Monday morning. Sundays were spent for preparing for the week of getting on the plane Laundry, packing, sadness, etc. You'd get on a plane on Monday. You'd work really hard, get back home late Thursday night. You would typically have a Friday morning, you know, 6 a.m. call because we were on um, West Coast time. And you would just be, you know, you were shot. And this lasted for, was it just under two years you were doing that? It seems like 20. Um, I think it ended up being about three and a half years I was in that role. I wasn't traveling all of that time, but there was a good I me- chunk. Yeah, I meant like that amount of time that you were doing that routine. 
Yeah, there was um, a good two-year stretch there that it was the norm. More that's weeks, what you were doing. Yeah, more weeks than not. It was. So I think this is really important to for you to talk about because not only is that when you started writing the book, but that's when you were learning yourself about the importance of letting go and the importance of mindfulness and the importance of your own well-being and taking care of yourself because you weren't you didn't have a chance you weren't you weren't getting that right so tell us on your on your experience you know what that was like what were you doing yeah and anyone who's listening who is has either been in a, a traveling consulting position or doesn't have to be a consulting position you can just travel be a road warrior for your company or is aspiring to one day be that I know right now it's kind of funny with COVID, but I, I suspect moving forward that people will get back on the road and be traveling a lot for work again at, you at think some so? point. At some point. I mean, it's not going to be the same as it was. I don't know. I think some people love it too much, but I, I do remember you loving those points. Oh, you don't got even, first don't class. Even get me started. Don't even hotels. I mean, it was nice, but but you know what? You bring that up. It's such a sad state in your life when you are giving yourself self-worth based on your frequent flyer miles and how many hotel points you have. I mean, think about that, really. I look on my phone and I go into the Marriott app or the um, American Airlines app and I look at, oh, how, how many more flights do I have to take and how many more miles I have to get? And all of that stuff, they are nice perks. Don't get me wrong. We went on some nice trips. We enjoyed those mm-hmm. benefits. But it turns into this like game and it's this love-hate relationship with being on the road where you're like, well, yeah, I got to be on the road, but at least I'm getting these things. So you kind of justify it in your mind that it's okay because you still have another status or another thing you're shooting. They've gamified it all. So it's kind of a sad state. When you get out of that place and you realize like, "Mm, nothing is better than like waking up and being able to work from home and to feel rested and to be able to enjoy time with my family, like that stuff is really important. And don't get me wrong, I do like occasionally traveling for work, but there just needs to be a balance there and there definitely wasn't a balance at yeah. that point in my life. How stressed were you? I mean, that's a, it's a hard question to answer just shortly um, or briefly, but there were times where it was, it was pretty bad. Um, and, and it wasn't just me, you know, there was a lot of coworkers that I had too, who were even having like health problems related to it directly. Uh, for me personally, you know, it was the lack of sleep, I think was, was huge. You know, you're sleeping in different beds, different hotel rooms. Uh, you're just not on a good schedule. I'm in different time zones. Uh, I'm constantly looking at my phone, checking emails, working long hours, Uh, But then I'm also trying to be there for you, you know, and and calling you in the evenings and trying to support you or anyone else, you know, in your network that, you know, your friends or whoever that all require mental and emotional resources from you. Uh, From a diet standpoint, I tried really hard to eat really well. Most people... You did. I remember you did a really good job with that. You had like a nice routine where you would land in your, you know, the place that you were working in for the week and you would go straight to Trader Joe's and stock up on healthy food for the week 
Yeah, and it's kind of funny because sometimes I would kind of get made fun of for, for doing that. Um, but it was important to me to like stock up on things that I knew would fuel me. And I mean, the last thing that you want to do, and this is what I find a lot of people who kind of live this lifestyle do, is they justify making bad health decisions because they're on the road or because the work is stressful. And then it just kind of builds upon and exponentially grows. So for instance, you, you come in, let's, let's just walk through this. So it's Sunday night. I got the Sunday sad, you know, feeling blue. I got to get on a plane tomorrow. Do I have everything packed? Do I have my toiletries? Like, do I have my nice business clothes? Did I run them? All that's okay. So you take care of all that and you got like, I got to sleep. I got to get up to try and catch this flight. So you get up, you get on the flight. If it's on time, that's great. If it's delayed or something happens, that adds to a little bit more stress. I mean, you're just around a bunch of different people all the time. So there's just high energy everywhere that you're kind of at. So let's say you, you land on time. That's awesome. You got to hop in, you know, an Uber, they pick you up, they drive you into either the office or the hotel. Usually you go straight to the office, you got your suitcase. And you know, now at this point I was West Coast. So if I was going into, let's say Chicago, I'm already two hours behind just from the time zone. So I'm feeling like I got to play catch up on Monday morning. The team's been there. They've been working on the project. And let's say it's now, you know, Monday lunchtime or afternoon, and I got to kind of grab and go. Well, if I skipped breakfast because I was going to be going on the plane early, well, now I'm super hungry. And what looks better, you know, something healthy in the moment? Or does it look better to say, I need some calories right now? Like, give me whatever fast food. I didn't personally do this, but I'm just walking you through the, the thought process. You know, so someone grabs something like a McDonald's burger and fries, whatever. So now they're not feeling good because they just ate all this like processed food. They're tired. They haven't been sleeping well. They're already stressed out and feeling behind. They get into the office. They work for several hours. They then go back to their hotel room. They probably have a few more hours of work and now it's it's dinner time. And what do they do? Well, instead of maybe going and, and getting something healthy, they go out to eat with the team. Hey, we haven't seen each other. Maybe they go out for a few drinks. So maybe they're not working out and maybe they're not getting a good night of sleep and you just you go through this process where you can justify saying i'm on the road so i'm going to treat myself to these like big meals big dinners drinks with your friend or your your coworkers whatever and it's fine the next morning I'll, I'll wake up and i'll just pound a bunch of coffee and i'll get my adrenaline you know running again or my sympathetic nervous system running again and I'll just power through and slug along because all I got to do is get to Thursday, right? Because Thursday I'm getting back on the plane and then I get to go home. So that's kind of your goal is like, how do I manage, you know, these three or four days of high work, high stress. But what ends up happening, I guess, is what I'm trying to say is that like these little decisions and whether it's like not getting a good night's sleep or not eating as good as you could or maybe skipping out on a couple workouts because you just don't feel like it, they all start to add up. And over time can cause a lot of significant mental and physical health problems if you don't try to be proactive and try to maintain your own well-being. I think that is your mindfulness around those little habits added up tremendously. And that's how you were able to... Um, I don't want to say get through that time, but you rose above it and you really were able to thrive in the best way that you could in that environment. But, you know, like you were saying, most people don't. So what were some of the things that you saw 
for those who weren't making those kind of decisions, you know, did they hit burnout? What, what would happen to people who didn't stop? Yeah, I have a couple of examples. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is a partner. Well, he wasn't a partner yet at the firm. He was a managing director trying to become partner. Partnership is like the gold. Like that's what you want. That's like your career aspirations when you're in one of these big management consulting firms. And so he was gunning it. I mean, he was working uh, West Coast. He was flying out to New York City, coming back to San Diego. I mean, just like just really pushing the limits. And I just remember like seeing his eyes, just like the bloodshot eyes and just like him trying to like kind of shake off, you know, whatever was going on in his head, the headaches, the, the whatever. I mean, there's no amount of caffeine that can substitute a good night's sleep. And, <laughs> and he wasn't getting that. And then there's just the stress of trying to hit your numbers and you're trying to lead a team. And let's face it, consulting work, companies don't, bring you in to fix the easy problems. They're not going to pay you money to come in and fix their easy problems because they're going to fix the easy problems themselves. They hire you to come in and fix the things that are too complex or they need another pair of eyes or they know there's going to be a huge change component to it that's like we need some quote unquote experts to come in here and guide us through this transformation. So the work itself is very engaging, which is fun because you can find yourself in a flow state throughout the day, which is great. I think sometimes people can even become a little bit addicted to the work and they don't know how to shut it off, but that's a whole other element to it. The work is challenging and therefore it requires a lot of mental horsepower and resources. And you put that on top of managing a team and then not necessarily taking care of your health, whatever, it's this perfect recipe for burnout. Everyone's either been there or you know someone who's there, but this partner in particular, you know, just, I just will never forget the look in his eyes, just the concept. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, who would ever want to sign up for that? I remember you saying that actually. I, I just, it, it was not attractive to me at all. I don't care how much money you throw at it. Like physically it didn't look good. And you think about the longevity of your life, you know, God willing, you're able to live into your eighties or nineties or whatnot. But you work really hard your whole life and then you get to a point where let's say you retire at 60 but your health is deteriorated what's the point what's the point you can't really enjoy life at that point so anyway i think this individual started to make some some changes in routine he was really trying to get his steps in so he was really um, big on getting 10,000 steps a day in so during calls and whatnot, he would go out on the campus of the organization we were working with and trying to walk. So like trying to make some some healthy things and knew that he had to, but just the pure stress. I, I knew right away that like, I do not want to be a partner if that's what being a partner looks like. But the second story I want to talk about is about an individual who is younger in his career and uh, someone who I still stay in contact with. And he was really put through the ringer on a project to the point where he had to go to the hospital because he was burning the midnight oil. He was under constant stress. His cortisol levels, who knows, but I'm sure they were through the roof. And I don't know exactly the specifics of why or you know what was discussed at the hospital, but the fact of the matter is his work directly impact his physical health at a young age where he should be kind of at his prime from a health standpoint and drove him to the hospital 
from work. And again, for what, right? What do we do this for? We do it for, you know, our titles. We do it for money, of course. We do it for maybe we really do love the work. But if you can't find balance and can't establish that early on in your leadership practice, it's not sustainable. It's not going to work. And the beautiful thing about all of this is I think organizations are starting to get it. So people have been talking about it for a long time. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm burnt out. I'm stressed. I don't, you know, like, I need help. Or they will go get help on their own, right? They'll partner with the wellness coach like yourself or they'll, whatever, they'll up their physical activity, meditation, whatever they'll take in their own hands. But now organizations are really starting to see it. And it may be a byproduct of COVID that they're seeing like, hey, we knew burnout and mental health and stuff was a big deal before COVID. But now like we need to up our own game as an organization that we're truly promoting this stuff. So back to the question that you said, will, will quote unquote, the corporate world go back to the traveling the way they did? I don't think they will go back to the way that it was. There will be this hybrid method of work, which saves everyone money. It saves everyone time. People love the flexibility. It's better for the environment when people aren't going on these planes and driving around all the time. However, I do think there is something about being in person. And I do think that there will be elements of travel that over time, I'm talking the next three, five, 10 years, where people will start to be back into these patterns and still will be traveling. And if they're not mindful about how they're doing it, they will still be at risk of burnout. Mm. Yeah, we actually, um, just this morning, Michael and I, we co-led a training on mental burnout. Um, And one thing that we talked about to this team was how um, much worse burnout has become since the pandemic. Uh, and I just think it's so timely that we're having this conversation about, you know, Michael's own burnout as a result of working the way that he did a few years ago, um, because I think that his story is really um, inspiring for people to see that you can change it, but it comes down to your own your own will, right? It's like no one can do it for you. You have to do it yourself. And I saw you do that. I saw how draining it was for you to to live that life. You know, not only is traveling constantly very stressful for anyone, um, remove that part of it, the work, that you were doing of 12, 14 hour days on top of the traveling, right? It's just like layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. Can you tell us where your kind of, I guess, rock bottom was in the burnout of of all that and what made you kind of change and how you were able to, I don't know, develop your skill of mindfulness throughout it? Because that's what I saw. I saw you recognize the problem and know that the solution was being more mindful in your in your wellness and taking care of yourself right and so you really did develop that over time but I also do want to mention too I think this is really important we knew we made a decision together as a couple that when you took that position that it was going to be a short-term Um, position, right? Like you weren't going to stay in it forever. So we had this end in sight 
And I think that in and of itself was extremely helpful and hopeful of like, okay, yeah, I'm doing this, but I'm also only doing it for a short period of time. Even that though was like very, very stressful just still doing it, even knowing that it was going, you know, that that wasn't like your end game, right? So tell us those things. Okay, I'll start with kind of the the rock bottom and then I'll kind of work my way out of it and what I was able to do. And by no means do I have all the answers. I mean, everyone's journey is their own, but hopefully some of the things that I did will inspire other people to make some small changes in their life, which will turn into big results over time. So rock bottom, it, it's hard to say exactly when it hit or my burnout was at the highest, but it was several um, months, if not close to a year of Monday through Thursday travel back and forth. And I just remember what my body was physically you know, feeling. I felt, this is gonna sound kind of weird, but I felt very like acidic in like, just I had constant headaches. I felt inflammation, um, just discomfort, just like, ugh. I didn't feel like at peace with my physical body and just like calm, collected, everything's feeling good. So there was some physical signs to all of it. Um, the headaches were bad. I mean, a lot of them were stress headaches, but I was able to work through some of those through meditation and whatnot. But I guess the rock bottom pieces. So you're going Monday through Thursday. I kind of explained all the way up till you're waiting and you get to Thursday. And then Thursday comes around and you're on your plane. You're coming back home, right? So you're some people, you know, you might have a beverage or two on the plane. You're kind of unwinding on, on the way home or what have you. You get in, um, you take your Uber back. You're completely wiped out by the time you get back to your, your house or your apartment. And then on Friday, you work from home, but you have a lot of calls scheduled. And as Alicia mentioned, when you're on West Coast time, you're usually making up for people who are, you know, East Coast or Central time. So you, you can't, it's not like you're really staying up late. You got to get to bed Thursday, but you are completely exhausted. So you, you get through Friday, you're kind of working, you know, out of your pajamas if you can, if you're not on any client calls, which everyone can relate to now after COVID. But come the weekend, you are shot. And the only thing you want to do is Netflix and chill. There's only one problem with that. You have a life outside of work. And so for you in particular, Alicia, you were staying and working from home, building your business in San Diego. Mm -hmm. So I'm going out and I'm stretching myself so thin and, you know, taking all this stuff on for us. Right. And I, I felt good about doing that for us, but I come home and I just want to relax like nothing. Like nothing, because I know in the back of my mind, Sunday night's going to come up and I'm going to have to pack that suitcase again. But what do you want? You've been at home by yourself with our little dog the whole week. You're excited. It's the weekend. Let's go. Let's go out on a date. Let's go out to the beach. Let's go do these things and these activities. And there was times where I would slug along and go through it. But there are other times where I'm just like in, in between that and then you know, kind of outlining working on the book and any other pet projects or passion projects that you have or maybe getting a good workout in, your weekends go by pretty quickly. You're back on the plane. So to answer the question about rock bottom, I you guided me actually. Got to a point where, you know, I don't know whether it was coming out through our interactions with our relationship. You saw maybe I wasn't as happy, just the constant stress. And you said, you need to go see someone. So I went to a naturopath. And I remember going into it kind of feeling a little bit apprehensive right? like it was holistic like what 
what are they going to possibly do? Am I going to be doing acupuncture? Like, I love acupuncture, by the way, but just like at the time, still kind of skeptical of, of some of this stuff. And I remember going into that first session and it was unlike any other doctor's visit I've ever had in my entire life. She just asked me questions. We had a conversation. She filled out like a questionnaire and took notes in. And I came out of that session feeling like I was heard, feeling like I was going to be all right. And she put me on a path to starting to get a grip on some of my health issues, some of my stress management, if you will. And I realized at that point that the power was within me to, to make the change. I didn't need a pill. I didn't need to go on like anxiety medication or something like that. And I know that there are people who, who do need that, so I don't want to belittle that. But I wasn't looking for a quick fix. What I needed was someone to truly care, someone to truly listen. And she basically was like, listen, Michael, you have a lot on your plate right now. No wonder why you're feeling like this. And we put together a plan and with your help, I was able to kind of start executing that. So what did that look like? Um, it was meditation, it was better sleep quality, it was essential oils, it was a lot of things. Being mindful, we, we did these Sunday walks on the beach, if you remember, like to try oh, yeah, and... Sunday morning. Sunday morning. We get was... a big coffee. Yeah. And go ground and walk barefoot. And then we would meditate together. And you know what we would do too? We would talk about our big goals. Yeah. Our, our intentions for our life. Yeah. So we would look out at the Pacific Ocean and we would just talk about what's our life vision? Mm-hmm. What are we doing? And that helped me in so many ways because then I was able to get on that plane and be like, listen, everything is temporary in life. I can get through this project. I can I can do these things because we have a vision. We were going to be purchasing our home up in Lake Arrowhead. We, were, we knew at some point in the future where we were going to be starting a family. I was going to be launching my business. You were going to be growing your business. And there was this beautiful image of what our life could be. So that really helped me. But people who don't have that and don't do some of the inner work and ask themselves the questions of what do you really want in life? What is your vision? Do you and your partner support one another in that vision? Then it just feels like you're going through the motion and you're getting on that plane Monday morning just to work for a paycheck and totally. then you come home exhausted. And yeah. Well, the only thing worse than grinding yourself like that day in and day out for years is grinding like that day in and day out without any um, intention of where you're going. Right? Yeah. There's That's the only thing worse than doing that. So at least we and you had a vision and hope and kind of like a time limit, more or less. If you didn't have that and you were still, you know, putting in those hours and that kind of stress on yourself... Can you imagine? No, I, I honestly, I can't. And I, I would see it in people. And that's why I think even in my coaching practice, and I know in your coaching practice, one of the first things I have people do is, what's your dream? Let's talk about your perfect day. Let's talk about your vision. So it's mm-hmm. less about goals. Like goals are fine, right? And that's what we're used and conditioned to. Like what's your performance goal for this year? And corporations set, you know, financial goals, yada, yada. But I want to know, what's your dream? Mm-hmm. That for me, the question is, what what do you want? Right? Like, I think that's the most powerful question in the world. What do you want? And typically, when I ask someone that, the first thing they'll tell me 
is what they don't want. Well, I don't want to do this anymore. Well, I don't want that. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. What do you want? Because if you can't answer that question, then you don't know. Then you aren't living with intention, right? Then you're letting life run you. You have to you have to know what you want. And sometimes that takes um, deciding, right? Of like, okay, maybe I don't know what I want. Um, I know for sure what I don't want. So let me use that as a clue of what I might want in and of itself. And then you build from there. And then you just have to keep asking yourself and keep tuning in and keep like, you know, self-reflecting of what do I want? Exactly. So back to my personal story with it, what did I really want? Yeah. I wanted to combine things I was passionate and I wanted to create this creative kind of masterpiece or this beautiful way of discussing and talking about leadership that no one else on the planet could write but me. And I'm going to speak for you. You wanted to find a way to combine your passion with your work, which is fishing. I don't think you've said that yet. Well, how have I, we not? I was getting How to, have we not talked you, about fishing? You I, was, I was just going <laughs> to get there. So, yes, this book, Catching Leadership and this connection to fishing um, my whole life. And I know you and maybe some of the other listeners, you know, with astrology like i'm a pisces so like, it makes sense that there's a natural connection there right with mm-hmm. fish and with water but water's just calming right wherever there's water there's life typically and it just sounds good on the ears it's just refreshing like there's something special about it so i've always had a connection with fishing whether it was going with my dad very early on or my my grandpa i mean i go fishing now with your dad i built this great bond with him i've been ice fishing now that we're back in the midwest and like falling in love with this new way of fishing but back to the the whole dream and how it all kind of manifests and came together was how could I write about leadership in a way that only I could write about and how could I eventually get to the point where I would be creating experiences that bring people together through the lens of fishing but still teach them great leadership and life lessons and that's exactly what I'm doing now mm-hmm. through retreats through all the work that I do, really, the the way that I coach, the tools and instruments that I use, but in particular, like this idea of, could I get leaders, could I get executives to come together on some beautiful destinations where we go out and we do some fly fishing? We talk and we coach one another. We have really meaningful conversations, not the surface level conversations that Corporate America has so many of the surface, you know, how you doing? How was your week? Oh, it's busy. Yeah, okay. Like, what's really going on? Where are you at, really? Mm-hmm. And that those are the conversations that if you're a great leader, you should know with your teams. And I'm not talking about prying into their personal life and knowing who they're dating or what. I'm not that, but just some simple little tool that I always do. And I'm amazed at how much information I'm able to collect. I do check-ins. Where are you at personally today? Where are you at professionally today? No judgment, no comments from me. And you just be amazed at what people say. You know, professionally, I feel pretty good. I got this project going, whatever. And that's usually what you hear. But then on personal front, you'll, you'll hear things like, oh, I'm really excited. Um, you know, my boyfriend just, you know, popped the question. We're engaged. Or, you know, I'm actually really not in a good place today. 
we lost our family pet. You would not get that data and that information if you didn't allow the space to ask that question. And you cannot be an effective leader if you don't know where people truly are in that moment. Mm. So basically, this all comes back to my vision was, how can I bring a little more of that, that essence, that really good part, that human connection using the psychology into a leadership model to help people who were in the same position that I was in with burnout, with grinding, and to just kind of feel reconnected, find a sense of purpose, and just live a little bit more holistic lives. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's possible for people who are still in a professional role with corporate to stay in that industry and find balance? I do. I do. But I think it's going to require two things. Okay. Probably a lot more, but at least two. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to require an unwavering dedication from the individual to make behavioral changes in the way that they show up Mm. and to set boundaries and to say no. They need to prioritize their health and well-being and mental health. They need to prioritize their sleep, their exercise, their ability to not get bombarded with distractions, to not mindlessly scroll throughout the day, to not get triggered by things, right? So that's like a huge thing that the individual needs to do. And then it's going to take the organization to step up in ways that they never have before. I started mentioning that more of them are becoming open to it. You know this. I mean, mm-hmm. you're getting re- you know requests for proposals on different programs that you're doing, and that's so encouraging to see that they're seeing this. Now, think about it from an organization's perspective for just you know a minute here. So why would they want to do this? Well, first off, it helps their bottom line. Mm-hmm. And it may seem counterintuitive. It's like, wait, they have to invest to bring a consultant like yourself in. But if it lowers healthcare costs, that's going to save them money in the long term, that they're not having to pay as much in their, you know, their group um, health insurance. What about the great resignation? Well, let's, yes, let's come back to, well, yeah, exactly. That's a great segue. So the other piece of this is organizations can use those types of programs to help attract new talent in. So with a lot of people quitting who have been feeling burnout and have been feeling like there's inflexibility in their position and they're just, I'm done, like done, done, and maybe I'll come back or maybe I'll do something on my own, maybe I'll join the gig economy, whatever it might be. If you're an organization, you're able to say, listen, we hear you, we value you as talent, and we're willing to invest in you, not just in the traditional sense of like leadership development or pairing you with a coach or a mentor or that side, but saying, your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health is important because we know if we can get that right and we can support you there, you're going to show up and do a better job in your role. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be more positive to be around and you're going to ripple those behaviors out into your team. And not only that, you're going to be able to recognize when people on your team are struggling with some of those same things that you may have experienced yourself when it comes to burnout. So now as a leader, instead of turning the cheek and saying, well, so-and-so is stressed out, that's part of the gig, we're all stressed out, we're all working hard, you're able to say, no, no, no. I'm gonna ask at least a couple extra questions here. I'm gonna provide some support. I'm gonna make sure something that could be prevented is prevented if I can show up and and do a good job as a leader there. So that's, uh, that's important. That's a couple of reasons why organizations may want to start investing in this 
and wellness stuff. I just realized, um, let's quickly uh, discuss what the Great Resonation is. Because I know we've talked about it to a couple people recently and they hadn't heard of it. I mean, I feel like most of our listeners probably know. But for those who don't, you know, what's going on right now with this, you know, the pandemic, our people are leaving and quitting their jobs like never before. It's crazy. And it's so uh, potent right now that there's a name for it. The Great Resignation. That's what's happening. Just so many people are leaving. And um, it's not just, you know, the restaurant industry. It's also the corporate industry. We personally know. I, I like in our circle, three people who've left high paying corporate roles. And a big part of that was because it wasn't sustainable with their health and well-being. Like they were, you know very stretched and they just couldn't maintain that anymore right and i think to your point if organizations were to get on that and make some real changes not some surface level oh we're we're making this and we care about your health but to actually make those changes right and that might be something that they're really uncomfortable with doing such as maintaining this hybrid work model Right. So many companies are like, well, we need to get back to the way we were. Everyone needs to come back into the office. But that's not in the best interest of the health and well-being for your people. Yeah. So I just went off on a tangent there. (laughs) I know. I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to pick how I want to dissect this thing because you brought up so many good points. Um, Well, first off, it's it's not an easy fix. It's a cultural fix. Yeah. And that takes time. It takes time. And you got to lead by examples and as an organization, you got to play the long game on this. If you're recognizing that there is a serious issue with burnout at your organization, you're losing people, then be committed to a long-term strategy on fixing that problem. Don't just bring in a one and done kind of thing. Hey, we brought you in a coach for a little bit. Like actually. Yeah. You need to invest long-term and not think that if you just check the box off and bring someone in for a training, that that's going to solve the problem. And you need to systematically reward the behaviors that you want to see in your employee base through your performance management system. Like it's not just bringing outside resources for people and saying, hey, we gave you this, but it's also saying, no, we saw that you actually unplugged and disconnected from work, and we're trying to encourage that even more, so you get some kind of incentive or bone, like that's written in their performance review to have clear boundaries of when they're working, and of course, when you're working, be productive, be mindful, be locked in, but also like, you need to say no, you need to turn it off, you need to maybe not email on the weekends or whatever that looks like. Aren't there other countries that make it illegal to check your email like after a certain point of at the night and on the weekends yeah i don't know if it's illegal but i think that they kind of just like turn off the servers for the emails that's or what something. they do yeah. yeah so that's like a really good example in my opinion of we mean it please don't check your emails on the weekend your well-being is more important that you recharge and we're so serious about it that we're turning off your email system yeah and they actually do that yeah yeah, and I mean that's one example of like taking it to to kind of the next level. But let's let's get back to the great resignation because that was really kind of the oh, yeah. the core of what you wanted to I think discuss. I think it's important to kind of go back even before the great resignation just a little bit to set the stage. This war for talent 
is a term that's been, I mean, I've been hearing about it for 10 years. And it's the idea that as an organization, we need to get the best people in here because that will be a competitive advantage for us. So how do we do that, right? Well, we need to pay our employees well, we need to have a really cool culture, maybe we have a fun office, we provide awesome benefits, whatever that employee value proposition is, we can get better talent if we bring more to the table, right? Because the way that the labor market is, employees actually have choices. They can pick which employer they want to go to based on what they think is going to be the best fit for themselves. So we've already had that and we've been preaching about that as a consultant, you know, I, as a consultant for a long time. But then what happened that actually caused this, you know, this name, the great resignation? Well, you had this perfect kind of wedge within the generations of this baby boomer generation that is kind of holding on for a little bit. They have been for a while, like not retire. Like, let's wait this out a little bit longer. I could retire, but maybe to play it safe, I'll wait a few extra years. And so they were kind of holding on for a little bit longer. You have this middle generation, uh, Gen X millennials, who are kind of in this middle management. They're, they're ready for the boomers to leave. They want to take on these more senior positions, but they're also feeling a lot of stress and uncertainty because they, they're getting pulled on two fronts from a personal level. Many of them have families and or their parents are aging. So now you throw on work, a lot of work, a high burnout, stress culture on top of that, like, woof, I'm hitting my breaking point. I might want to quit. Mm -hmm. And then you have the, the newer generations who are like, you know, fresh out of school. Maybe they don't have a ton of experience. And that's what all employers want is like, hey, we need X amount of years of experience before we're going to bring people in. So with all that being said, COVID hits and we don't need to relive that because everyone is sick of hearing about it. But supply chain issues happen, the working from home, certain businesses are rocked in certain ways and there's layoffs up front, but then a lot of people get hired back, but there's still a lot of just employees that are quote unquote quitting or resigning. And initially I think the narrative was, well, they're quitting because we're giving them government money, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to sit and get their unemployment checks. And I'm not going to sit here and say that that didn't have somewhat of an impact. But when you look at the research, there's a lot of factors that go into it. It was not just the government checks that were making people quit. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of these other factors. So when you look at the numbers with the great resignation, a large portion of them are the baby boomer older generation where basically they're like, you know what? I've done my time. I put it in. I got enough retirement. I'm done. So you're losing a lot there. You are losing some in that middle category. As I mentioned, they have all of those different stressors and, and they're in middle management. That's a hard role in and of itself because you got to manage up, you got to manage down to your people, and then you have those personal pressures. So you're losing some people there as well. So, and then with the, the younger generations, I don't know if you're necessarily losing people at the, the same thing, but we talked about the experience gaps and then, you know, are, are they quote unquote ready? Can you plug and play with them in organizations? And sometimes you can, sometimes it's a little bit of a challenge and they need to be scaled up. You also have the gig economy, which continues to grow too, right? So you have this idea of like, well, what if I was just kind of my own boss or I do contractor work, right? Mm -hmm. So now that's kind of a factor in all this. That was a factor before COVID. And I think that piece is just going to continue to grow. So you have this beautiful storm of talent shortages, uncertainty in the world, people working from home in ways that they never have before. And organizations, to your point earlier, saying like, wait a second, we've invested a lot of money in our offices. Like we want to get people back, quote unquote, to the office. But employees are saying, why? 
Yeah. Why do I have to go? I so it's the like, commute going in and the time it takes me to go in is more stressful and not beneficial, you know, at, for the bottom line than it would be for me to just do my work at home. But the organizations on their end are like, but we, you know, we have this new office and we can work together and see each other in person, and that creates maybe fosters creativity a little bit more, and that's the way we've always done things. So that's why we need to keep doing it. And there's it's some, tricky. There's some truth to that. You know, being in person, I mean, we all, I hope many people are craving it. Like I'm craving the personal connection and totally. be able to give someone a hug and like just, just that human connection is so important, right? But I think the tricky thing with all of this too is employees largely like the flexibility and like the hybrid model to have the option to go to both. It requires corporations to provide the option for both, right? So they still have to pay their rent on their brick and mortar and they have to be flexible enough to allow their employees to work in the hybrid piece. But this all comes back to mindfulness, which Mm -hmm. is kind of the core issue here. Even though you may now be able to work from home in more ways than you ever had, are you able to disconnect from work? And or are life pressures like kids, aging parents, whatever it might be, distracting you from work, not from a productivity standpoint, but just it's man, it's a lot to manage at home. I have, you know, a kid who's doing virtual learning over here and I have to go do this for my spouse or my, my parent is in a, you know, a nursing home, whatever it might be. And I'm, yes, I have the flexibility at home, but I'm also just like, ah, I'm just bombarded and it all just feels like blah and it's all just kind of overlapping into one another, which if you aren't creating clear boundaries and being mindful, it may just allow people to say, you know what, I got to peace out from the work side for a little bit. I'll come back once I get some of this other stuff or as we start to open up the economy again. So there's a lot of factors to unpack with it, but I think the phenomenon of the great resignation is really opening people's eyes to what do you want? in life Mm -hmm. it comes back to that and people now after covid are really saying is this what i want and i'm willing to step away from it to figure that out even if it's momentarily right now totally i think that's you nailed it i think that's what's happening is they're like wait a minute do i even want this what am i doing and what do i want and the pressures of work is too much uh bandwidth to then give them the freedom to reflect and think about what it is that they want so they step away to do that it's interesting it just made me realize or think about how I feel like there's almost two moving points here from what we're talking about one is the individual the person you and me you need to know what it is that you want right and this can even break down to your days in terms of okay you work at home how do you want your work day to go do you want to work from this time to this time? Do you sit down and meditate beforehand? Do you have a home office? Or do you go work at a coffee shop down the street for two hours and you come back home? Like, what do you want that to look like for you? Do you want to shut off your emails and you only answer them on your, your desktop in your office and you don't answer them on your phone when you're, you know, with your family? Do you have like a ritual where you like, all right, I'm shut, I'm, I'm taking this ritual of shutting it off, meaning I am meditating right now or I'm going outside for a walk right now to like have that ritual of like I'm shutting this off into creating more of you know a day that you really want but also when you do have really good days I want you to listeners to think about 
what was that, what made that day so good and how can I repeat that? What was it about that day that was so, so good? And how did I uh, do things differently that day, right? So anchor that in. But on the other side, I think that maybe this is an opportunity too for organizations to ask, what do we want? And that's your forte. That's not mine. They need to be doing that regardless. I mean, they they need to be strategic. I think the the default is, well, we want to make money. We want to grow. Right. But is that sustainable anymore? Because your people are your your biggest asset. I think it. I think it is. I mean, some growth is good, right? It provides more opportunities for people. But there shouldn't just be growth for growth's sake. Yeah. I think it's the motivation behind it, and also. This, the social outreach, you know, what are you providing to the community, especially with younger generations too? Like if you are going to be making ton of money, you know, tons of money year over year, how are you giving back? What are you doing that sets you apart? And that can go into your employee value proposition as well. But yeah, being more strategic and intentional, it doesn't just need to happen at home for you personally. It needs to happen at the organizational and strategic level too, where people can start getting real and hopefully using COVID and you know the, the kind of crisis that we've all been through these last couple of years as a, let's pump the brakes. Mm-hmm. What are we really doing here? What do we want to be doing here? And how do we move forward navigating this new kind of hybrid situation? What Let's listen to our employees. Let's just all be committed to getting better and being open-minded Because the idea of getting back to the way things were, it's not going to happen in the sense that we just, you know, wake up one day or we push a button and it's like, boom, COVID never happened. It's over. It's never going back to the way it was. But I think that's good, right? Because we need, as humans, we want to evolve. We want to grow. We want to get better. And this is, the last two years have been information, Here's, wow, look at this. This is what's happening. And now this, this is how our employees really feel. And this is what's really going on at an organizational level. And now we're all at this crossroad where it's like, okay, we know this information about myself, about the company, about how things are you know happening and so many different layers of industries. What are we going to do about it now? Yeah, I think that's spot on. I think the the goal as an organizational leader should not be how do we get back to the where we were, but rather how do we use this as a lesson to learn of where we want to go. Mm. The goal should never be to go back. It should always be to go forward. And I'm not saying you got to go like full nuclear and change absolutely everything because chances are if you were running a successful business, there are elements that you still want to replicate and you want to scale within your organization. However, just change the the end goal of saying we got to get back to where we were and say, no, we need to move forward to where we're going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think those who are able to flex and adapt more right now will... Um, have more success in the long run, right? Instead of like, well, let's wait and see because there's no more wait and see anymore. It's like, all right, now is the time. It's right now. It's always right now. Yeah. So when it comes back to talent on that, what, what can you do as an organization? We talked about attracting talent and like trying to make it competitive for people to come in. Like, I want to work there because of X, Y, and Z. And this is truly different and it's refreshing and they get it, you know, whatever that is. But it's also, how do you retain your employees? Mm -hmm. How do you keep the ones that, you know, 
are doing a good job happy and that they're being heard and not taken for granted just because they do a good job all the time. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of elements that you need to start looking at more strategically within your organization. I mean, here's a, just a little example too. I, um, an executive uh, HR leader reached out to me just this, this past weekend and they said, hey, there's you know three of these uh, senior people within uh, an IT department who are, they love the uh, outdoors and like they're important people we want to continue to invest in them. You know, we are willing to sponsor them at your next Catching Leadership Fly Fishing Retreat. You know, that's like a huge symbol as an organization to be like, we see you, we recognize you, and we want to invest in your leadership development, and we want you to connect outside in nature, and we want you to just go enjoy yourself and go do those things. Like yeah. we trust you. Talk about feeling valued. Exactly. You know, that's feeling appreciated and valued and um, the actions support that. And not just saying it, but saying it and doing something about it. Yeah. We could go on and on. I, I won't um, belabor your, your listeners, but there's a lot of different talent management strategies when it comes to how do you keep employees, you know, de developing their, on their career paths. The career paths look different. How do you measure things? Like successful. There's just so many different things that I could talk about. But the, the key takeaway here is your organization needs to be strategic and needs to be asking the right questions so that they can evolve to whatever those next steps are. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to um, you as the example, right, from an individual level, because I love that you can bring the um, leadership perspective from an organizational level and whatnot, um, but I really love talking about what you can do yourself right? And um, taking personal responsibility for your own health and happiness. Um, what would you say is, has been the key to unlocking your own well-being? Hmm. I think there, it's a great question. I think there's a couple of things. I think first and foremost, I'm incredibly grateful that you do a phenomenal job with the meals that we eat around here. Not only are they healthy and nutritious, there's some soul behind them. <laughs> They're like homemade. Like this morning, I, you know, I'm. This is kind of a little bit of a husband brag moment, but like <laughs> I had from scratch English muffins this morning. Sourdough. Sourdough. Yes, that Alicia has her own sourdough starter with einkorn, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't take any of that for granted. I'm also not a picky eater, so pretty much anything you put in front of me, I'm, I'm going to eat and enjoy. But I think the nutrition is a big part. I think cutting down toxins, whatever they are, you know, reducing everything in life in moderation, right? Still allowing yourself to enjoy things. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with self-love. And on the outside, a lot of people can appear to be confident. They can appear to have their careers figured out. On the inside, they struggle with labels, with um, body image appearances, with am I far enough in life and life's happening really fast and what if I lose a loved one, you know, like all the what ifs and all the worries and whatever. And I think just being able to, in the moment, regardless of what you're doing, being like, 
life's pretty good right now. And so for myself, when we were living in San Diego, going on those walks on the beach, life's pretty good right now. Instead of worrying about getting on the plane the next day. When we were up in Lake Arrowhead and I was out on my kayak and I was fishing, you know, and having this more flexibility in my work and enjoying some of the outdoors, life's pretty good right now. And even now, as we move back to the Midwest, it was funny because we moved back in May and we grew up in the Midwest. We know what the winters are like here, but spending five years in California, it was kind of like, oh man, are we ready for this? Like even today, I think we woke up, it was like negative, whatever. It was negative five last time I checked and that's without a wind chill. But I go ice fishing with your dad and I think to myself, I'm like, life's pretty good right now. I'm mm-hmm. fishing, you know, I'm fishing with my father-in-law, making memories and And part of that is this month for me in particular too, another example is I got off Facebook, I got off Instagram. I'm still on LinkedIn because that's really core to my business and it's a way for me to market. But I just noticed that like I'm reading books. I never used to like to read books when I was in school. It felt like a chore. I didn't want to read. I was a great listener. Uh, You know, I'd listen to the teachers. I'd get good grades. But like reading just felt like, oh, put me to sleep. And now... Like grabbing a book and huddling up by the fire and just like reading for 15 or 20 minutes is like, I find pleasure in that. I'm starting to find pleasure in the small things. And if you're able to do that in your life, whether it's the meal that you're eating, you know, being a more mindful eater, whether it's the activity you're enjoying, whether it's the lesson that life is teaching you right now, even in a hardship, but able to say, life's pretty good right now. And I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm exactly where I need to be. I think that's really what it's all about and being mindful doing the inner work and getting better day by day so amen and i love that we've been well you especially have been embracing um our huga lifestyle which if you guys haven't listened to my winter wellness episode i talked all about what huga is and so when michael's reading by the fire at night after we put our girl to bed that's some hookah right it's embracing this time with the negative six wind chill or without the wind chill outside (laughs) and that's that's loving your life and i think that that comes back to um a big part of your story with the the traveling uh work that you were doing of kind of just getting through the week right like getting through getting through and then you'd get to the weekend, you'd be like crashing and then just trying to get get through that so you can get through the next week and just your life was just getting through it. I feel like you ultimately learned and embraced and embodied how to stop getting through and how to start loving the moment and embracing it. I agree. And I think something that you say that I even think about periodically and have been recently is how you spend your day is how you spend your life. Mm -hmm. And so if you go about your day wishing it away, oh, it's so cold out today, it's negative, whatever. I wish it was just summer. I'm wishing this day away. And over time, you end up wishing your life away if you're going to wish all of winter away. Or you're going to, you know, be afraid that, oh, my little one's growing up too fast. It's too fast. It's too fast. And you keep telling yourself a story versus being like, she's growing up just right. And I'm here for it and I'm going to enjoy it. Yes. So I think that's important. And it doesn't mean you're not perfect. It doesn't mean I don't still have worries and concerns. I mean, 
we're both small business owners. Like you, you feel pressure and stresses a certain way, but you build awareness to when you're feeling a certain way and then you take action on it to get out of it sooner. Amen. Don't let it ruminate. That is the essence of this journey of, well, of unlocking your own well-being. That's what it is. That's what it is. But it's just that. It's a journey and it won't happen overnight. But even listening to podcasts like this, plant those seeds for you to begin making those little changes, right? And you're planting seeds of these trees that will grow into uh, the tree of life, essentially, of what you want. And I'll just say this, for those of you who are still listening to this entire episode, <laughs> yeah. and you're here, you know, and listening to our back and forth, kudos to you. Like, you are doing something, you're investing in yourself today to learn something new. Hopefully, you weren't triggered by anything in this episode, but maybe you were, and maybe that's a sign in life that like, oh, okay, I got some inner work to do there. You know, that's another part of it too. When you're feeling a certain way or you go down a negative path, why? What's the root cause of that? And how do I prevent that maybe in the future from going there? But every little step that you take, whether it is, you know, huddling up by a fire and reading a book for a little bit, or it's listening to a little bit of a podcast, if you're being intentional with it, and it's ultimately helping you get to where you want to go in life, and it's not causing extra stress, anxiety, mindlessness, you know, scrolling and just getting triggered by what's on the news and all of that, you're going to find yourself on a much better path to living a better life. So kudos to you for listening to this and now, you know, go implement a few things. There's plenty of tools and techniques. Alicia is a great resource for this stuff. Like, I mean, it was amazing this morning we were on that webinar that we did together we asked a question, Alicia asked a question, said in the chat, you know, I'm going to lead you through a three minute, you know, body scan meditation and just write new if, if you've never meditated or this is new to you if you've ever done a meditation before. And I don't know, there's probably 20 people. It was their first time ever yeah. in their lives meditating. And these are, you know, corporate professionals who probably the average age, I don't know, 45, 50 years old. But it's not to feel bad and it's not to put them down and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you never meditated. But it's like you did something today that you hadn't done prior and you're taking a step in the right direction and build on that momentum and have the confidence that you can do your part to start preventing burnout and stress. Totally. It's never too late to to change. It's never too late to start making uh, changes and new habits and change your belief system. Ever. Yeah. So, babe, thank you for joining us today. What, if anything else, would you like to leave with us? Um, any final thoughts and more about, um, you know, where we can follow you, how we can connect with you, your website, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'll get to that in a second. My final thought is this. This is from an entrepreneurial side. It's easy to consume information. There's so much information out there. It's hard to create content, good content. Mm -hmm. Hopefully this podcast was good content for people out there. And I know you're putting a lot of effort in your book and in my book. But when you see people who are trying to make positive changes in the world for people, for companies, spread the love. You know, give them a thumbs up or comment or share it or whatever, because there just seems to be so much negativity in the world right now and 
stuff that brings things down. So if you experience a lightness from a show like this or from anyone else, it doesn't have to be Alicia or I, it could be anyone, um, just do your part to let them know because sometimes when you are an entrepreneur, you are creating content, you can kind of get into your own head. I know I've been there. I know, I think you have with your book, whatever, of just being like, is this good enough? Is this going to Absolutely. Gonna but you know it is when it's in your heart that it's good. And I feel like we both have such strong passions for this. But I guess that's my one thing for, for all of, the, of you out there. If you, if something resonates with you, just let someone know. It goes a long way to just like some, someone a comment or a little email said, I listened to this and wow, good job. So that's just being a good human being and, and whatnot. But in terms of contact information, um, catchingleadership.com is where you're going to find information about my services. Uh, you can purchase a copy of the book there. I have an upcoming retreat. You can click on the retreat tab. It's this beautiful event. I'm going to be at the retreat too, you guys. So I think this is really... I want you to tell us about the retreat, Michael, because I, I think... Um... We need to tell the people about the retreat. Although I feel like it's going to be sold out pretty soon. So if someone is interested, you should probably reach out really quickly because it's selling out really fast. But I'm going to be at the retreat um, in a supportive role for Michael. So if you're a woman listening and you might not want to engage in the fly fishing part of it, but maybe your your husband or your partner um, would. And hey, maybe you're a woman who wants to fly fish. I told Michael I'd go with him this summer. He's very excited to show me how to fly fish and I'm ready for it, but I'm not there yet. But my point is I'm going to be at the retreat. And so if you want to come with as a plus one and hike with me during the day, I'm going to have some like activities for um, people who are attending with their partner. I'll be there in a supportive role helping Michael. But please tell us more about the retreat itself. I can do that, but I just got to make sure I heard what I heard. What did you hear? You're ready for it. I am. All right. I'm excited. You, we heard live... it. you heard it here first. Okay. She's ready for it, and it's going to happen this summer, so uh, it'll be fun. I promise. I won't be too hard when I'm coaching you how to cast a fly line, but you're going to like it. Anyway, the retreat. So the retreat is a beautiful outdoor immersion. It's leadership development paired with fly fishing and mindfulness. There'll be some hiking, there'll be some group coaching, we'll have some bonfires, you'll get to connect with a network of leaders. Like Alicia mentioned, there's a plus one option. That was feedback I got from the last retreat that I did this last fall. So maybe there's a young one in your family who you want to start showing the ropes and saying, hey, I want them to be more mindful or take leadership development seriously, professional or personal development, um, or I want them to maybe go and hang out and learn some things from Alicia while I go fly, whatever it might be. There's a plus one option, whether you want to do fishing activities or not. But the key takeaway from this experience, if I'm doing my job well, is that you're going to leave feeling refreshed, rejuvenated. You will have made memories out on the water. You will have bonded with new leaders and you will have received some executive coaching prior. Everyone gets a one hour call with me prior, but also some group coaching in the moment about different ways to become a better leader. It is in the Driftless area, which is a beautiful pocket of the country that not a lot of people know about. And you're going to learn about the beauty of this land, reconnect with it, I want there to be a, some kind of conservation component to this as well. So you're going to up your leadership skills. You're going to do something good for the environment. You're going to learn a few things about fishing. You're going to meet some great people. Check it out, catchingleadership.com. Click on the retreat tab. 
going to be pretty awesome. And the, the uh, Driftless is in um, the Midwest. So is it in Iowa or Wisconsin part of the it's, Driftless? They're both. So it's in four states total. No, the retreat. Oh, the retreat's in Wisconsin. So like the okay. heart of the Driftless, like the... The, I don't want to say the best part because I'm kind of biased with I love the Iowa it side is, of it. Let's be honest. It's the heart of the drift. So the center of, um, in again, the Driftless, you, you're probably like, what the hell is the Driftless? It's a pocket of land between Iowa, Illinois, um, Wisconsin, and um, Minnesota. And the glaciers missed it. The last glaciation missed it. So there's rolling hills there. There's cold water trout streams there. There's a ton of biodiversity when it comes to different insects and animals. It's actually the second most biodiverse place in North America. The Ozarks is the only place that has more wildlife in it. A lot of people don't know about it. And that's what I think will be really special for anyone who would be attending this area. So it's it's beautiful it's beautiful you guys there's rolling hills the trees are gorgeous there's creeks there's hiking there's lakes there's i mean it's just like idyllic good word i know it it, that's like the best i if i had to describe the driftless i just say idyllic okay yeah, it, it's going to be awesome. So It's beautiful. Check it out. Okay, well, yes, he's very active on LinkedIn. Make sure, I don't know if you mentioned that, but follow him on LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. Again, um, my book, The Six Gold Keys to Wellbeing, is going to be out and available in this spring. So if you are not signed up for the book launch list, be sure to head to alishaleadum.com. Sign up to be the first to know when it's available to purchase on Amazon. And of course, you can connect with me, reach out um, in any capacity uh, on my website, find my email. All this information is also in the show notes. If you like today's episode, please be sure to share it with your friends. Um, we really appreciate the support. Um, and if you would like to leave a review for this podcast, that would be really awesome as well. And particularly if you liked having my husband on here and we can bring him back. I feel like we might. Hopefully I did a good job for you. (laughs) You did. Thanks for being here, everyone. And we'll see you next week for Unlock Your Wellbeing. Bye. See ya.